Good evening, folks. Uh, thanks, Roy, for leading us. I, I do love that thought that Roy shared, and, and was on the screen, that we come to the table not because we must, but because we may, and not because we feel strong, but because we are weak. Uh, so, so thank you, Roy, for that. Uh, and can I also just say, uh, this has been a bit of a roller coaster of a weekend for me, if I'm honest, but I do want to thank you just for the warmth of your welcome. Uh, and just your friendliness, uh, and please continue it <laughs> uh, for a long time. Uh, I'm not sure if you were here this morning, and just as a matter of interest, uh, could you, any, if you were here this morning, can you indicate? Right, okay, great. Uh, well, this morning we, uh, we looked, for those who weren't, we looked at the first potential contender for the original Christmas number one, a song uh, called The Magnificat. And it was really interesting because a few people said to me after the service, David, it would have been great if you'd played that at the end. So I'm sorry, I messed up there. Uh, so ideas like that and how I should have ended services, I really do welcome those. Uh, but what I want to do this evening, uh, just for a little while, is profile in a little more detail, based on some verses from Luke chapter 1, the, the songwriter of the Magnificat. And I know we did that kind of this morning, but I want to do it now, as I say, a little more detail. I want to look at Mary, who has been described as an example of the ideal Christian and we'll discover why that's been said of her as we go through this. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to me to, with me to the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we're going to stand, if that's okay. It's something I know uh, I do. I, I like to encourage us to stand for the public reading of God's Word. Now, I hope that is all right and you're comfortable with that. Uh, but let's stand together and read Luke 1, starting at verse 26 down to verse 38 and then we'll also jump down and just read verse 45 so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David the virgin's name was Mary the angel went to her and said greetings you who are highly favored the Lord is with you Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be uh, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of David. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. And then we know she goes to visit her now uh, pregnant cousin, older cousin Elizabeth. If you jump down to verse 45, this is what Elizabeth says to Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill her promises to her. And then we have the record of the song. Please take your, uh, please take your seats. Do you know, whenever, uh, whenever Gabriel shows up you can be sure he's got something important to say but this isn't 
Gabriel's first appearance in the Christmas story. If you have your Bible open, if you take a look across at verse 11 of the very first chapter, we read that he has actually already showed up and frightened the life out of Zechariah. Uh, the NIV says that Zechariah was gripped by fear, as you would be. Uh, and we're going to return to that particular incident and, and what happens in Zechariah's life and also Zechariah's song next Sunday morning. But neither of these two appearances in this uh, early part of the Christmas story are Gabriel's only ones. Because 500 years earlier, he had shown up on two occasions to another uh, key Bible character, an Old Testament character called Daniel. And again, the response whenever Gabriel showed up to Daniel was very similar, total terror absolute terror in fact Daniel was so terrified that we read he fell flat on his face but when he shows up to Mary this vulnerable young peasant girl it's really interesting that it's not her it's not Gabriel's actual appearance that causes her any distress it would seem but it's what Gabriel says Now, before we we look at what Gabriel actually did say, I want to draw your attention to this, that whenever God wants to communicate something, he doesn't always use conventional means. Now, we're going to have a little bit of congregational participation. Uh, I enjoy doing this, and I welcome this. I hope you do as well. I always like to think when people come to church, they come as active participants and not passive observers. So here's a little game as such that we're going to play, if, if that's all right. You see, whenever God wanted to communicate with Mary, or with Zechariah, or with Daniel, or with a bunch of shepherds, or with Jacob, for example, God used an angel, or angels. Now that's the example. So here's your turn, okay? How did God communicate with the Old Testament Joseph, a cupbearer, a baker, Pharaoh, Isaiah, and Joseph, the Christmas one this time, and the wise men? Dreams. Very good. What about Belshazzar? How did he communicate there? Via a what? via a finger or a severed hand. Bizarre, yet highly effective, I reckon. Uh, For Balaam, how did God communicate? A talking one. I really am tempted to say something about Shrek, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Right, to Moses. Right, via Bernie Bush. For Abraham, for Moses again, For Jesus at his baptism and for Paul or Saul as he was then known. How did God communicate with them? Yeah, verbally. But let me ask you this. What about us? How does God speak to you and me? How does he communicate into our lives in our context? Okay. Yep, sometimes through what someone else is saying. Now, so, I saw someone very quickly hold up what? Yeah, a Bible via his word. Any other ways God speaks to us? Via one another? Via his word? Okay. Via God's Holy Spirit? Via Jesus? 
Hebrews says, In the past God spoke to our forebears through the prophets and at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us via his Son. And there is a sense in which if you want to hear God speak today, then a key way, and it's not the only way because you have described other ways, but one key way for me that God communicates is via the consistent reading of the Gospels and taking a note of what Jesus has said and his advice and his instructions. So, for example, God says to me, David, love your neighbor. And then the more difficult, love your enemies. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And don't store up treasure in earth and stop judging others and so on and so on. Any other ways God communicates with us? Through songs. Through songs? Good answer today. Thank you. (laughs) Any other ways? Through nature. Yeah, the created order. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. God can and does use so many means to speak into our lives and our circumstances. But here's the critical issue, isn't it? Are we listening? Or is the divine whisper? drowned out by so much other noise in our lives I mean what has God said to you this week what has he communicated into your life today in the last 48 hours because God I do believe is constantly speaking to us back to Mary I've mentioned all day the fact that Mary was really quite young and I know we can't be certain of her age But it's often thought that because in that culture a girl was betrothed to be married soon after puberty, then the likelihood is that Mary was between 13 and 16 years old. And one of the things that I absolutely love is that God often uses young people to accomplish his purposes. And I know Roy said it's great to see some young people here tonight. And it is great to see, and I didn't expect to see any young people here, but it really is good. And and those of you who do know me know that I have a real heart for young people and and I love that age isn't an issue to God and I know that we sometimes make it an issue when I don't think it is a lot of the times and so a young Joseph shares prophetic dreams with his father and his brothers David is up for a fight against the giant despite King Saul saying to him there's no way you can go against this Philistine and then what is he because you're only a boy And Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he's 16 when he helps to reform a nation. And a kid with a lunchbox alleviates a major food shortage. And Timothy is a gifted young New Testament church leader. And Mary carries the Son of God in her womb. God is not ageist. And as a church, I really hope and pray, and I say this to you young people, I hope and pray that we will be a church that includes and involves and empowers and encourages young people. That is something I could say so much more about, but I'm not going to tonight. So God uses young people, but God also uses ordinary people. And that was something we highlighted this morning, because humanly speaking, Mary and Joseph, for that matter, were nothing special. I mean, Mary is a servant. Joseph, a joiner from a pretty insignificant town in an unimportant province. 
And whenever they brought Jesus to the temple, what was it that they sacrificed? Or what was it they were only able to sacrifice? Doves. And why could they only do that? Because that was the sacrifice brought by the poorest of the poor. Two ordinary human beings. And yet, it's into ordinary people that God places treasure. And you know, the New Testament describes us as jars of clay. Because we're fragile, and we're delicate, and we're easily broken, and we're vulnerable. And I know that some of us maybe feel that acutely, that we're incredibly aware of our weaknesses. And that's why I loved what Roy led us in this this evening, because it's not about how strong we feel. But so many of us are aware of our weaknesses, and yet the amazing reality of the gospel is that we are ordinary containers carrying extraordinary contents. Mary was an ordinary jar of clay, but as we read together, the Holy Spirit came upon her and placed Jesus within her, literally. And according to the New Testament, if we are Christians, then Christ lives in us. And that is the hope of glory. Into jars of clay, God places incredible treasure. And so never underestimate the importance of the ordinary. Never. Let's go back to the text because Gabriel appears to Mary and his opening words are these. Have a look at them with me. Opening words are greetings. You who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now I want you to imagine that you go home from here this evening. And I don't know what your ritual is on a Sunday evening. But you go home from here this evening and an angel turns up in your front room. And he says those words to you. Greetings, Roy. You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. How would you respond? Well, I would probably be pretty encouraged. I would probably feel quite good. And so whenever I read of Mary's reaction, I'm puzzled. Look at verse 29. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Or as one translation puts it, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now why was that? Because remember, Gabriel hadn't got to his message yet. All he had done was said hello. So why did the greeting leave Mary so confused and disturbed? Well, the bottom line is this, and it's something that I hope has ran through today. Mary was not full of herself. She wasn't proud. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't full of self-importance. But instead, here was a young girl whose life was characterized by humility. And Watchman Nee said that genuine humility is unconscious. God's workmen must be emptied of self. That they are unconscious of self so that they can be unconsciously humble. Mary was so evidently emptied of self And it's that 
which I find such a challenge to our current individualistic, self-centered culture. And I know Roy's already referred to this. You see, the reason that I find Mary's response to the fact that an angel has come and said, her greetings, you're highly favored, the Lord is with you, and yet she's disturbed by that, I find that deeply challenging because, and I think so many of us do, if we're honest, we struggle with this issue of humility because when it really boils down to it, life is about me. It is about my rights and about my comfort and about my way and about my agenda and about my reputation and it's about my image and I do care about what you think of me. And it is about my life and I am so self-centered of times, if I'm completely honest, and I know I've got to be careful about how much I do bear my soul, especially in the first day, but uh, I am so self-centered at times that it frightens me and therefore I know that I have some serious lessons to learn from this young peasant girl. But what does it actually mean to be humble? So that whenever God says, hey, you're highly favored, that I don't puff up. But that actually disturbs me. And on the second Sunday morning of the new year, we are going to look at this specific heart condition of humility, which for me is a critical, essential character trait in the life of every Christian in our, in our society today. Because it actually speaks volumes, because it is countercultural. I mentioned earlier that Mary has been described as the, the ideal Christian, and that is one of the reasons. But for the last just a few minutes, I want to look at three words taken from the text that actually describe this young songwriter. And the first is that word we've been been looking at, this idea that she is favoured. You know, to enjoy the favour of God is clearly a great thing. In Genesis 4 we read this, that the Lord looked with favour on Abel, and the result was that God accepts his offering. Genesis 6 we read that Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord, and the result there is he gets rescued from total destruction. But by way of contrast, when you go back to Genesis 4, you discover that Cain and his offering, whenever God looked on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. And the result is that Cain is severely punished and misses out on the presence of God in his life. Which must have been a frightening prospect. And as we've come to church this evening and as we've engaged in worship, and I'm going back to something I said this morning, but we know that the eyes of the Lord penetrate beneath the surface. And so, and I hope this is a fair question to ask, does God look with favour on our offerings of worship because we have offered them in humility and as individual Christians and as a church community can I suggest that one of our aims is to constantly walk in the favour of God to walk in the fog (laughs) sorry I just I need little things like that (laughs) but that needs to be something that we say help me God to do that to walk in your favour And Mary clearly did. But again, something that comes through is that the results are not always what we expect. And Gabriel went on to say that God has decided to bless you, Mary. And she's walking in the favor of God. And and so we tend to assume that if someone is favored by God and if they're blessed by God, then surely that equals health or wealth or good reputation and an easier life. And yet we all know that apparently that is not the case, despite what some people try to say. 
Because as we said this morning, Mary's life went on to include pain and sorrow and confusion and the horrendous reality of seeing her son betrayed and falsely accused and beaten up and eventually executed as a common criminal. And here's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? That acceptability and prosperity and comfort have never been the essence of God's blessing. You know, what's in it for me was never a question that Mary would ask. It would have been an alien concept to this humble teenage girl. Mary knew what it meant to decrease so that he might increase. Her humility and her ordinariness was what led her to being highly favoured. Secondly, obedient. Look at verse 38. I am, this is her response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Do you know, Gabriel's announcement would have been incomplete without Mary's obedient response. And God spoke and Mary obeyed despite the risks and the cost involved. And again, when you think about it, Mary wasn't married and yet here she was, pregnant. And the baby wasn't Joseph's in the strictest sense. So how was Mary going to deal with all those awkward questions? And honestly, Mr. Religious Leader, it was an angel. It wasn't going to convince anyone. But Mary was prepared to risk the things that we human beings run a mile from. She was prepared to risk a suspect reputation. Ridicule. Possible rejection. And even being misunderstood. And yet Mary grasped those things. Things that I, would, I just don't know I could cope with. Because being obedient to her God was far more important than any of that. And Mary's submission is deeply challenging. And so I wondered as I thought about this. What is it that God might be asking some of us to do? To get rid of some stuff and clutter in our lives and maybe as a result risk our reputation. To pack in a job, not to take a promotion because it's probably going to wreck our marriage and our family life. To speak up for truth in a very hostile environment. To reach out the hand of friendship and risk being misunderstood. To say sorry And go about repairing a relationship even though the other person hasn't asked for forgiveness. You know, whenever God asks us to do something, what we tend to do is go, listen, I need some time. I need some more information. I need some more details. But look at what Mary was told. And imagine all the questions that this girl must have had. You know, sometimes I, I, I don't think we really get behind the text to, to grasp what's going on here. But think of some of the questions that this... Mary, you're going to have a child, even though you've had no sexual relations with a man. And this child you're going to have will be called Son of the Most High God. And he's going to be a king. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And just to add to the drama, your old barren cousin is six months pregnant. Think of all the questions and yet she only asks one, and it is a pretty fair one, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see, Mary doesn't need everything sorted. She doesn't need every I dotted and T crossed. She doesn't call for a time out. She simply, and yet there is absolutely nothing simple about this, but she simply obeys 
and submits to God's will. And so whatever God is asking you to do that's risky, that may take you outside of your comfort zones, well, despite how difficult and daunting it seems, can I encourage you to follow Mary's example and obey and then prepare for the adventure. And the final word is believing. Look at verse 45, the final verse we read together, where Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Another bit of congregational participation. What is, and I've asked this question before, I think here, but what is an oxymoron? Yeah, like pregnant virgin. Okay. You see, Mary took God at his word. She believed what he said. You've probably heard this before. A little boy comes home from Sunday school and his mum asks him, what have you learnt today? And the little boy said that uh, they had learned about a man named Moses who was leading some people away from a bunch of Egyptians who were chasing them. And as they ran, they came to this huge river and so Moses had his men build a bridge and then all of the people crossed over and as soon as they got to the other side, Moses called in an airstrike and the... And the planes blew up the bridge so that the Egyptians couldn't capture them. And the mum looked at her little boy, a little confused, and she said to her son, Are you sure that that's what your teacher taught you? And the little boy said, No, that's, that's not what she said, but you would never believe the story she did tell us. <laughs> and there's a sense in which, do, do you think that Mary, or do you think that other people would have believed Mary's story? Take a look back at verse 20. We didn't read this. And it says here, And now you, and this was addressing Zechariah, you will be silent. And you will not be able to speak until the day this happens. And why? Because you did not believe my words. You see, Mary, unlike Zechariah, took God at his word. And in a society that is constantly and relentlessly and increasingly questioning and attacking God's word, we face a similar challenge today. Are we going to take God at his word? Are we going to stand on God's word? Are we going to defend it? Are we going to trust it? Or are we going to sell out and deconstruct it? Everything Mary was told sounded crazy. In fact, it all sounded impossible. And yet look at verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. And I don't know what impossible issue or situation that you're facing at the moment. From where we sit this evening, that relationship, that family crisis, that problem, that dilemma may seem insurmountable. But with God, it seems that nothing is impossible. Do we believe that? I know we said, but I mean, do we actually believe that nothing's impossible for our God? Need to finish. So is Mary the ideal Christian? Is there such a thing? I don't know. But I actually think that here is a young woman who presents us with an excellent role model and so as we leave here this evening 
let's go and walk in the fog, obediently submit to our God, and believe that what he has said is and will come true. Amen.